When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the very, very new Tripe Supper 2. I'm Jonathan Taylor, I'm joined with Anthony Vickers and Phil Tollentite and it's a very much a step in the unknown this. Yeah, I'm, I'm unplugged. I prefer new generation. Obviously, if any of you listen to the normal Tripe Supper, you'll know exactly you know, how it works. The Tripe Supper 2, for one week only, it's, you know, it's available on, for, to everyone on Gazette Live. The idea of it is that... Um, basically, it's a, a more kind of informal chat, isn't it, about all things Borough, a bit of bit of music, a bit of other kind of things, and obviously you send your suggestions in of what you want us yeah, to talk this, about. This is our remixed B-side, isn't it? It's the freeform jazz might rock even, opera. Yeah. Might even be better than the normal one. Probably, um, certainly. But, <laughs> but this, is a, this is available for Gazette Borough premium subscribers after this week, so if you do kind of like the stuff we're talking about, by all means, you know, sign up. Um, GazetteLive.co.uk, you'll find out all of the kind of... The information you need, really. We'll start with a borough topic. Mm. Uh, Dimi Constantopoulos obviously finally put pen to paper this week. Age uh, 38, Vic, were you surprised that, that, that he, A, Dimi got a new deal, and B, do you expect him to play a part this season? Well, I am surprised. I mean, it's hard, he's hardly one for the future. Uh, and do I expect him to play a part? Well, probably not. But, you know, every team needs a third keeper, and I'm sure if he comes in uh, in that role, uh, to help out in training, you know, be on the bench maybe, who knows, he might play in the League Cup game. Uh, and also uh, the, the keepers that we've got at the minute, um, in Conor Ripley for instance, I think he could learn a lot from Dimi about you know, the, the inner secrets of the goalkeeping art, if you like. So I think there's a lot of good things about it. He's also well-liked within the, the squad, and, and although that's not necessarily a reason to sign someone, these are all building blocks of, of a dressing room. So... I am surprised. Uh, I don't necessarily think it's a, uh, a a major contribution to the playing squad, but I think it could work out, you know, to have uh, positives. Phil, the cynics would perhaps say that it was it was born out of sentiment. But do you think that's a bit harsh? Yeah, I don't think I don't think for a second that Borough would offer a deal to a keeper just because he's a nice guy or because you know he had to sit on his hands for most of last season. I'd, I'd be very very surprised if Borough were considering for a first team role. At, at best, I would have thought he'd be a, a guy to have on the bench in an emergency. Um, he is thirty eight. He'll be thirty nine later this year. He's barely played a game, competitive game for the best part of twelve months. I hear people putting on Facebook and Twitter things like, you know, the guy's still got a lot to offer. Well, frankly, we don't know that, do we? Unless you watch him on the training ground week in, week out, um, you wouldn't know whether he's still as, as agile and his reflexes were as good as they used to be a couple of years ago. I think it's a wonderful story. You know, the, 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 the fact that he was signed, ex- particularly, you know, as pretty much an extra pair of hands on the training gown back in 2013 uh, because uh, Tony Mowbray was worried about the workload on 
on uh, Jason Steele and uh, Jason Luttweiler and for him to break into the team within a few months and then establish himself as the number one fighting off pretty stiff competition from other keepers it's a brilliant story he's a great guy he's you know he's, he's settled in the north east he's, he's happy here he's opened his, his cafe stroke restaurant which is excellent by yeah, the way yeah on Linthorpe Road I was what, looking up to go along to the opening of that and the food was terrific you, and brought, uh, you brought back a little I bit of mixed back, grilled yeah, yeah I think you describe it as a goodie box and um, yeah listen he's I'd be amazed, as I say, if he's the first choice keeper next season. But he probably will be, you know, trying to, to, to win that position. I'm intrigued to see what they're going to do with Connor Ripley. You know, he's had two solid seasons, one in Scotland, one in League One. Uh, he, he, he was very impressive last season by all accounts. I didn't see him myself, but I heard good reports from Oldham. Um, perhaps it's now or never for him because... You know, he's the right age, he's the right build, you know, he's, he's hungry, he's enthusiastic. It might be his season, let's wait and see. It's, it's interesting the way that keepers, it's either love or hate with, with Borough fans, isn't it? We know that there was like a major bromance going on with uh, uh, Shay Given. Uh, there's still people now that hold a torch for Carl Ikemi, yet the likes of Brad Guzan, Jason Steele, Brad Jones are, are, are hate figures. I mean, there's definitely nothing in between. No, I, mean, I, I think... I think that you can absolutely draw a line between the, the Mowbray era and the Karan career in terms of keepers and the, 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 the keepers who played under Ait or Karanka. It's not d- any detriment to them, um, simply the fact that Karanka set the team up with a very defensive structure, which I think made life easier for keepers. Um, you know, we, it, it, it's a simple fact of life. If Bur- you know, Jason Steele suffered, I think, because Borough was struggling desperately at the back in the tail end of Tony Mowbray's time at Borough. And he carried the can for that in a lot of ways, didn't he? And then he had the awful, you know, unfortunate timing to get himself injured the moment Aitor took over and sent off for thanks to thanks to Danny Ayala. <laughs> uh, so, so I think the circumstances were dreadful for Jason, and, and for some reason it didn't work out for him, and he moved on, of course. So, um, I, I think it is strange that how how certain keepers sort of win over the the, the fans. And other keepers, you know, we've, we saw it a little bit with Mark Schwartz towards the end, didn't we? The fan base really struggled to embrace him. Um, and, you know, you mentioned Brad Jones. Yeah, uh, Mark Ross Cross Turnbull. could do no wrong. Yeah, although he only played a few games, didn't he? But he was very impressive. I think he should have kept his place. But let's go. <laughs> let's not get into the Mark <laughs> we'll Cross. Yeah, into it, otherwise Schwartz, we'll be here all day. The Schwartz-Crosley debate from whatever it was, 2007 or whenever it was. We've had a couple of suggestions of, of topics to kind of touch at. This one's from Guy Bailey. He wants to know... Firstly, we'll start with you, Vic. You, what are your first impressions of new Borough managers? Obviously, Gary Monk's now come in. And we've, all, we've all had the, the chance of meeting him in, in, in his opening press conference. He'll now be getting to grips with the players. Are there any managers down the years that you kind of you remember, oh, yeah, I remember the first time I met him and, and, and left kind of a lasting impression? Uh, well, every manager's different, for one thing. I mean, the first time Mogger came back as a manager... Uh, he did his press conference and he, he walked over to me and Eric and he just said to Eric, we'll just pick up right where we started then, Eric. And that, you know, from day one, he was brilliant with the Gazette because obviously he'd grown up with it. Uh, others are a bit more distant. We, we never really built a relationship with, with Aitor Karanka, partly because there's a language barrier and also partly because I think he was a very studious technocrat who could only really relate to, to other football uh, intelligentsia. Uh, <laughs> I didn't get off to the best of start with Gordon Strachan. Uh, I think it's fair to say our senses of humour weren't the same. Uh, yet Lenny Lawrence from day one was fantastic. He introduced himself. Uh, there, there was only a few of us at that press conference. It was me and Eric, 
I think there was Radio T's were there and, and Ray Robertson from, from The Echo. And he introduced himself, gave us his phone number, said, you can call me anytime you want, ask me anything you want, and I'll never tell you a lie. So, but it's up to you to ask the right questions. And that's exactly the sort of relationship you want. Uh, Robbo, R- Robbo was, was very good with this as well. He was, He'd some, answer any question, he, wouldn't he? he? Sometimes he was too honest for his own good. Mm. And it was only, uh, you know, sometimes we would self-censor ourselves rather than get him into trouble, really. But he, he was great. And uh, he was a very gregarious man's man and very blokey and and he took you into his confidence and he he was too trusting in some ways and that got got me into trouble a few times yeah initially i was pretty optimistic about italk ranker in terms of forging a relationship because he i think he's got a great i still think he's got a great story to tell you know a foreign manager coming to middlesbrough living in the northeast you know he seemed very positive about his experience living around here and i wanted to hear more about that i wanted to find out you know what was it like taking your family to flamingo land or to why do you like going to york with the kids why you know there's a backstory there that we've never really got to grips with i do remember when he'd only been in charge for a couple of months i managed to arrange a one-to-one with him at rockcliffe obviously we met him on the day he was announced and unveiled but it takes a few weeks before you get to know people properly normally um, and I had a nice one-to-one with him and he told me about his story about playing against Newcastle for Atletico or Bill Barton. He had a bottle of brown ale. Yeah, he, he, had a, he, had a, he kept the bottle of brown ale that he bought in Newcastle and I thought he's a guy who's got a bit more about him than just, you know, he's here for five minutes and then he wants to go home. But he kind of put up the walls at the end of that first season and really after that it was very much a case of um, he did what he had to do. Um, he was occasionally accommodating but we never really got the man behind the, the manager, if that makes sense. I thought the, the interesting, probably the most in, you know, in at the deep end moment was probably Mogger for me because um, Eric Perler left at the end of the 2011 season, um, which was Tony's, obviously he came in the winter that season. And I did the odd press conference with Tony, but there wasn't an opportunity to really get to know him. I wasn't covering Burr, obviously, in his first spell with the club before my time. And we went on the pre-season trip to Slovenia and I was lucky enough to go on the bus from Rockcliffe to the, you know, we went down to Stansted, I remember it, and stayed overnight and then went off to Slovenia. And obviously he didn't know me, I didn't know him. I knew a couple of people on the coach, like Mark Proctor, Stephen Pears, one or two other people. So that helped a great deal. But I just found Tony a great guy from, from the off. He pretty much put his cards on the table. You know, you mess, you know if, if you, if, I'll trust you. If you break that trust, I'll never trust you again, which is a very fair thing to say. Um, let's see how this week goes, let's see whether we can work together. And, you know, within a couple of days, I think he realised that I wasn't there to stitch him up. And uh, it was a very healthy working relationship. That doesn't mean to say he liked everything I wrote or that the Gazette wrote or agreed with everything I said or didn't occasionally take umbrage with some of the questions that were asked, but there was a relationship there. And I think a good working relationship is one where, you know, a manager feels as though he can kick you up the backside if you've wrote something that's a little bit out of the order, but won't hold it against you for weeks on end and I think that was healthy and likewise you could check things with him and run things by him and you're not on the phone every day but there's an opportunity there to exchange information and I think that's useful and that would be great if we could have something broadly the same with Gary Monk but let's wait and see. Well obviously Gary Monk is a manager that we'll all get to know, you know very well over over the coming season they'll be you know back in the championship they'll probably be what two two press conferences three yeah. press conferences a week we'll probably see more of Gary Monk than uh, you know over the halves. It, it, can you remember any especially prickly moments in 
usually press conferences are fairly mundane, aren't they? Yeah. But I mean, down the years, can you think of any particularly prickly ones? Well, the classic, the, the classic examples that I recall were obviously the Gordon Strachan era. Now, if you're a journalist, you'll know what I mean by this when you say that Gordon Strachan would answer any open question. And what that means is you can't just be answered with yes or no. So if you mm. say to Gordon Strachan, um, are you looking forward to Saturday? He would say yes. Or he would say no. If you said, what sort of game do you think Saturday is going to be against Manchester United, Gordon? He'd expand on that and he'd answer. Now, that, now to me, that, test, that tested a lot of journalists' metal because, best will in the world, most managers, if you ask them a pretty close question, like it's a big game on Saturday, Gareth, Gareth Southgate would go off and say, yes, it is, and explain why. So I think a few, I th- I think a few, few journalists struggled with that to the point where some journalists, and I won't name for obvious reasons, actually pretty much refused to do his press conferences because they weren't capable of adapting. Um, so that did cause some prickly moments. So of course, the famous one was um, when it was rumoured that Gordon was going to get the sack and all of a sudden, during the 2010-11 uh, season, um, there, were, there were occasions where there was very few journalists there. One or two, perhaps, were, were down for a pre-match press conference. Anyway, this one particular Friday, the place was packed... And he actually said, I think, some of you come to see me get the boot or something like that, sort of tongue-in-cheek. So that was interesting. So, yeah, he could be a bit, bit prickly. But, but nonetheless, it just, you just had to be prepared. And I know Eric Perler got on really well with him. I think they met at the, the Riverside the day Gordon was you know, introduced and he had a one-to-one with him. And I think what, 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 clever did, what, what Eric did that was clever was he didn't talk about football as such. He knew that Gordon... Uh, knew the Southampton area and, and, and Eric himself knows it and they got talking about mutual places that they both were aware of down in Hampshire and, and, and that broke the ice and, and they got on really well from that moment onwards and, uh, and that, that just shows you that you know, you've sometimes got to think outside the box a little bit with managers and not just assume that they, they just want to talk about football all the time And it's not just managers as well Vic you've dealt, dealt with a lot of players down the years are there any in particular uh, moments of interviewing players where you've thought oh that was a bit prickly or that was memorable I'll, always, I'll never forget that <coughs> Barry Robson. <laughs> <laughs> but Barry Robson was, could be scary, let's put it that way. Uh, most players are all right because they take the press as being, being part of parcel of their job. Uh, some of them can be uh, quite abrasive, especially, I mean, sometimes, you know, it, it's a, not a nice thing to have a microphone stuck in your nose when you've just lost. Uh, Sometimes the, the best ones are the ones that are slightly antagonistic because you get good quotes out of them. I mean, Scott McDonald was a, a chewy little get and he was an argument in an empty room kind of bloke. But once you got over that, once you asked the first question that he reacted quite badly to, he, he would tell you all sorts. And that, sometimes that's, that's... Australians are great, aren't they? Yeah, Most the, of them. The Australians have all been good talkers. The, the, Dutch. Dutch, the Dutch have been brilliant talkers. Except well. Marvin. <laughs> uh, I've never really found too many problems with, with any of the players. You accept that some of them are spiky. Uh, I mean, like, it's not the easiest thing in the world to interview Grant Ledbetter, especially when they've lost, because he doesn't want to do it. Especially when they lose at Cardiff and the yeah. yeah, I mean, but he, he doesn't want to do it. He's easier once the microphone's turned off and the cameras have turned off. You know, he tends to relax a little bit. But, you know, it, it's some people are not mentally geared up to expressing their, all their emotions because I mean, I mean Grant for instance is you know when he comes off and they've lost he's seething the last thing he wants to do is do small talk for, for the media uh, you, you have to learn to judge when to ask a question and, and when to uh, just give them a nice easy one mm. to uh, break the ice with really uh, 
I've never really had any any problem. Yeah, I always I always remember getting wrong off Bolo's ending for a story that I didn't write. There was there was a story I can't remember what the story was now, but it was in the Northern Echo, and um, <laughs> and uh, I was in in reception at Rockcliffe once, and I uh, said hello Bolo, and he said hello, and he uh, he says uh, I'm not too happy about the story that you wrote. I won't try and do his Dutch accent. Uh, I would like quite like to hear the yeah, Dutch accent. Actually, yeah, yeah, no, you're not going to hear it, but um, <laughs> okay, uh, yeah, yeah, and uh, and I said. I knew which story was at the time. Obviously, he was referring to because we, you know, you're quite well aware of what your rivals are writing. And they said, "No, no, I'm thinking fine. It wasn't an exact." And to be, to give Dave Allen his due at Bury, even he said, "Bolo, it wasn't the gazette." Don't hit him. It, yeah, <laughs> don't karate shop him. Um, it was, it wasn't. So he says, "Yeah, I'm not so sure, but okay." So you sometimes get blamed for things that you didn't write, and and there is an element that sometimes that the press are all dealt with equally. You know, they're just seen as one homogenous unit. Well, we've all got different agendas. Um, I'm sure Stuart Downing won't mind me uh, saying that you know he he grew up talking to people like the Gazette and the Echo, and we you know you know when he was quite raw as a young lad, and he would maybe say things where you think, well, you can't write that, you'll get in too much trouble, and you'd, you'd watch his back a little bit for him. That's just what you do because you know he didn't didn't say it with the intention of it being publicised, and then he did an interview with the News of the World once about his England thing, uh, and when Steve McLaren was still the manager, and that that obviously was used verbatim. And it got him in a little bit of trouble. So there's little things like that where the players come to trust you because they know you won't stitch them up, but then they're exposed to the wider media world. And well, of course, they've got no obligation to watch anybody's back. And I'm not suggesting for a second that we ignore good stories when they drop on our lap because we don't. That's not our job. But but you build up a relationship and you know when somebody's trying, you know, you know when a player doesn't realise he's probably overstepped the mark and you, you, you're kind of keeping an eye out for them in that respect, particularly the young lads that have come through and we've grown up with. We're not just sticking to football. On the on the tripes up a two, um, we're going to test the water with a, with a few other questions. I mean, someone's been in touch and asked about Glastonbury, which is quite topical. I mean, looking out the window, it actually looks like it should have been this way. It always pours down on Glastonbury. Uh, if you were there last weekend, chats and you only got saw one act, who who would you be queuing up to see? Uh, well, I think probably I'd go for the National uh, band I've quite liked for a while. I got a couple of their CDs, old school type things like CDs. It, it's not just virtual music. Um, I do like them, and I've never got round to seeing them yet, so I think I'd probably say The National. Uh, I haven't seen their set yet. It's on the iPlayer, so I'll make a point of watching that at some point. But, um, yeah, uh, maybe it's Radiohead. I haven't seen them either, but they're, they're infamous three minutes of tuning up. They've got a round of applause. But yeah. Well, I, I turned over from that to watch Flaming Lips. Mm. Uh, my highlight of the weekend was uh, Angel Olsen, who's an American punky singer-songwriter, and she was absolutely brilliant. Uh, if I was there, I'd probably be in the on the hanging around the obscure tent, uh, watching bands that you've never heard of. <laughs> Each to their own. Yeah, absolutely. I always ask this question when I when I'm kind of getting to know people. But if you were attending a, a festival where you could pick the headliners, who are, who are you talking? And now I will allow Dead or Alive on this, and I'll allow no, Solo. I'll allow. <laughs> yeah, we're not going to see that. Um, yeah, go on. Who who would be your ideal festival headliner? Yeah, I've seen most. I'm Obviously, I, I mean, I, I know you're going to say these are all sort of cheesy names, but to see someone like Elvis Presley or the Beatles, um, and one band that I've kind of just missed—I was just the wrong age. Vic, I'm, I think I think you saw them. Vic, I'd love to have seen the Clash. Oh yeah. Um, I saw the Pistols when they reformed in '96, and they were that they were amazing. Count. But uh, well, it was the original lineup, original lineup. But yeah, so well, I missed the Clash um, by a couple of years. And uh, I know my mate went to see them, and quite a few other people did. Absolutely, and I like to see the jam as well. Funny enough, but yeah, the Clash would have been amazing at their peak in the early eighties. 
We're jumping from one subject to the next. Another football question now. Get your music heads off. We're back to football now. But can I just say, Jesus yes. and Mary Chain? Yeah, you can say that, yeah. Football. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, have you seen them though, have you not? I haven't seen Jesus and Mary. That's, I thought that was the point. All oh, right, I thought, oh, I thought you were, I thought you'd have seen them back in the day. No. They were always uh, taking a break, having <laughs> fought each other to death on stage. <laughs> well, I'm not attending the festival that you two uh, have just proposed <laughs> no, anyway, let's put it that way. Uh, back to football. We've uh, we've we ran a poll like all week on the on the Gazette website about which away games kind of Borough fans are most looking forward to in the championship this season. Um, a couple of surprises actually. The front runners, according to fans, they're most looking forward to going to Bramall Lane, obviously Sheffield United, and Hillsborough. It's a Steel City double. Um, chaps, I mean we've we've pretty much been to all of the, the championship grounds, haven't we? There's no new ones this year. But is there any that you're definitely not looking forward to, or is there any that you, you every time you you, you go in the the turnstiles you you look forward to? I'm surprised that Hillsborough's been mentioned because all we've been here, we've been there a lot, and that, and the big I don't think it's a particularly other than the fact that it's quite close. I don't yeah, think it's, it's a short. It's, it's, it's a get, bit. You get a big area. It's a bit of an awkward place to do our jobs, isn't it? From our point of view, uh, Bramall Lane, I would guess, has popped up a lot because there'll be a new generation of fans who probably weren't able to go at the cup tie back in two thousand and whenever it was it, and the other league game before that. So I think Bury should get a decent allocation for that. Yeah. I'm really not looking forward to our annual trek just before Christmas to Millwall. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Does yeah. that get you in the festive spirit nice and early? Well, that, that time, we, we, was it the 21st we went? The, and the first it, half was, it was, it was Karanka, it, the game it, that saved Karanka's it, it career, moved wasn't it? It was a 5.15 kickoff yeah. on the Saturday before Christmas. It was lashing down. Emmanuel Desmond? He saved, he saved the day, didn't he? Yeah. yeah. That was the night we went, the, we went for a, a, a drink in the West End, and there were, the, all the lovers were singing around the piano, <laughs> weren't they? Singing the, all the, the, all the resting actors yeah. were singing there. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm quite. You know, looking. I keep missing Burton. Funny enough, I know Burton have only played them a couple of times, and it's 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 um, it's been in the cups. But I, I'd like to get Burton finally ticked off. That's the only one off the top of my head that I haven't got in the championship. So that would be nice. Um, but in terms of grounds to visit, um, I quite like. I don't know why, but I have got a soft spot for Bristol City. Even though it's a bit of a. They've kind of finished it now as well. Yeah, yeah, no, they finally finished. Yeah, they were pretty close. They've got the, last the dugout. <laughs> last year they got to sit on the school right. chairs. That's right. I, got from the I don't like the trip to Bristol City because last time we went uh, on the way, you informed me that we had a speeding ticket, which obviously went down very badly. And, <laughs> yeah. and then Borough went and yeah. lost in the last yeah. minute. Yeah. So. Yeah, it was, yeah, was, it it was, was a speeding it was that, ticket roulette because yeah. we knew we had one, yeah. but we didn't know who had been driving. It was whoever got past Junction 14. That was who got it. There's no need for Victor hit the horn celebrating to 15 miles when he realised it wasn't easy. It wasn't him, it was you, but yeah, I, I, I think away games are what it's all about, and uh, you know, we've seen, it's a shame to lose Brighton, because I used to like going to Brighton, Brighton's mm. a good trek. yeah, it's, it's obviously a long trek and a demanding one, but, and obviously we've got a car, I, I don't, I've, you know, I've done Cardiff now a few times, and that is a right old trek as well, and um, so they're the kind of games where you're looking at your fixture list, aren't they, and you're thinking, when have you got to go to Millwall, when have mm. you got to go to Cardiff, um, Got, I think it, for fans this year, there's, as well. there's a, a lot of pluses. <laughs> there's so many short trips compared to yeah. last year, where every week seemed to be a major, major mm. trek. Mm. Uh, now there's quite a lot in Yorkshire and uh, the northwest. So mm. I think we've saved, was it two thousand miles? We worked out we'd save two thousand miles this year. Quids mm. in. As this is the Tripes Upper 2, we've got a new feature which is going to run every week to, you know, towards the end of the podcast. The on-reflection section. 
Um, I don't know if you want to do a jingle for that guy. Have you got a jingle on top of your head that you want we'll to We'll get sing? something on to put on our phones before too long. Okay. Um, yeah, that's obviously I mean, linked to the on-reflection pieces that we generally do where we look at kind of former Middlesbrough players that, you know, down the years and, and their time on Teesside. Um, I mean, we'll, we'll instead, though, we'll go a little bit more contemporary this week and we'll look at Antonio Barragan. Obviously, likely to be playing his football at Real Betis uh, this season. Um, Antonio Barragan was an odd one, wasn't he, really, this season, where he actually seemed to be a better centre-half than a right-back. Yeah, you go on, Vic. You, you, you well, kind of felt that. Possible. If, if in two or three years' time we, I was writing an on-reflection piece, obviously the main thrust of it would be his complete inability to take throws. Mm. Was eight, bad, wasn't it, this season? Eight, four of which were penalised... One in which involved him actually fighting for the right to take it as if he was like Rory Delap or something. Uh, and then and messed it up. On his tour. And this, this was Swansea in the, in the dying minutes of a month. Was it Swansea? I can't can remember which game yeah. that was. Yeah. Well, I mean, there were so many to pick yeah. from, let's be honest. Did he do one against <laughs> Arsenal as well, I think? Uh, he was a strange one. I mean, he actually looked better in the three weeks when he was a makeshift centre-back. And I remember we sat down at the, uh, and did a, a real tripe supper earlier in the season and we said... Uh, he looks like he could turn out to be the signing mm. of the summer. Mm. So it just shows you what we know. It's always very cringeworthy when you read back what you've written. But I remember I was looking through my cuttings uh, earlier, earlier in the season. And in September, I, I wrote how Antonio Barragan's arrival means that Borough's right-back curse has been lifted. No, it's, it's incredible, isn't it? How Borough have always struggled on the right for, for season after season. You know, right-back and right-midfield as well. You, when, when he arrived, you know, purely in terms of his CV, you think, well, he should be all right. He's played at a high level for most of his career. Um, he's the right age. He should be, you know, he should. He's fit. He should slot in there and be, you know. It's, it's, it's surprising. I've seen a few players come from, come to England from top decent Spanish sides mm. and struggle to adapt. And you think, well, that's strange because Spain, by no means, is an easy league. I do think what you do get in Spain, though, that you probably don't get in England as much, is. Are fixtures where you can play eighty percent? I yeah. genuinely believe yeah. that. A bit like the SPL, for example. Um, you, you know, the, you've got the top clubs, and you've got you know, and, and they'll admit that, don't they? That, that a lot of the, particularly the Spanish lads, say you know, we we can't believe how intense matches mm. against teams at the yeah. bottom are, yeah. for example. And I think it does catch them out. And I think by you could you could almost tell that he was yeah. he was it's, struggling at it, the end of the season. It's also no surprise that a lot of a lot of the imports certainly in the first season, dip off after Christmas because they're expecting yeah. a month off at that mm. point to recharge their batteries. And the fact that not only does it keep on going, but it gets more intense, uh, and there's absolutely no let-up in English football, uh, a lot of them, it, it tests them to destruction. Mm. Uh, and I think all, also uh, uh, the observation should be made with Barragan. Is, you know, it, I mean, I, I did the marks every week, and he started off sort of bouncing between sevens and six, and he ended up regularly bounce between fives and fours and there's no it, it, I mean it's not just a coincidence that he fell off a cliff after Aitor Karanka went and Borough started to open up a little bit more and push mm. forward a little bit more and the the defence was a little bit more exposed uh, I think he was probably a, a fairly solid defender but advancing up the pitch he left acres of space behind him and I wasn't totally convinced of his positional sense sometimes so, I mean, I think he started off well, had a lot of promise, uh, but more than, you know, more than most, uh, when the floors started to be exposed, that they were reflected in him quite badly, I thought. Yeah, he's one of those players, isn't he? You, you would watch and he'd come, up, you'd come away from the match and you'd, you'd struggle to remember what he'd contributed, either in a negative or a positive sense. You know, he didn't make too many howlers, apart from his throwings, of course, but 
but going forward, I, there wasn't really a huge amount going forward. I know I, I agree with what you're saying there in terms of Borough was set up pretty defensively anyway, so you wouldn't expect him to bomb on and bomb on and bomb on. But um, it just didn't really make an impact. And you could say that about so many Borough signings last season. When you you know you, you hope that those seven, eight, nine, ten players that came in would make an impact, and and too few of them did. And it was. It, for that very reason, Burris struggled, and you know how many players do you think you know really grasped the season by the scruff of its neck? In mitigation, I think it should be said that he, he spent a, a lot of his worst games. He had uh, a Dharma Traore in front mm. of him, which probably meant that it was very hard to get a balance right and hold a disciplined line, and uh, and uh, you know uh, watch the space in front of you because there'd be people in front of you not doing the job that you expected them to. Uh, having said that. I don't think he helped himself sometimes with his own positional sense. I also recall with Barragan as well, he, he suffered a hamstring injury kind of just, I think it was just as the new year, wasn't it? And mm. uh, he came back and played one match and then was out again with a similar thing. And then there was a couple of players that that happened to, a bit of a recurring injury. Yeah. Friends struggled to get his Friend, obviously, he should yeah. never have been on the pitch against Stoke, should no. he? And then you look at someone like Callum Chambers who came back, played at White Hart Lane and then was missing again. I mean, is that something you think that Borough will probably have learnt from? Yeah, I mean... I, 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 we saw some mistakes, some really bizarre selections, didn't we, towards the tail end of Aitor's time? You know, he, he, things he thought. You mentioned George Friend playing playing with an injury, and and, and that didn't do them any favours. You, you you wondered you wondered why they were playing. Was it just lack of resources? I think that's probably part of it. Um, and you know, you, you certainly someone like George Friend certainly wouldn't give anything less than a hundred percent in any match, whether he was fit or not. So there's no criticism against him. Can you say the same about Barragan? Well, I think I think I was going to say the thing yeah, I was going to say. Good. I think I was going to say about Barragan was when you know when we look back here about if you wrote something in three years' time. If we sat around this table in three years' time and tried to name the team from this season just gone, he'd really struggle to remember him, wouldn't he? He's one of those players who kind of just drifts out of the. He's, he's going to he's going to have been here, and and as I said before, not made an impression. It's you know it, I, we certainly probably haven't we never got to see the best of him. Um, he's kind of a new age uh, Michael Reisinger <laughs> I don't think he's quite as bad as that but <laughs> Abel Xavier <laughs> I think that sounds like a good time to, uh, to stop it thanks ever so much for listening obviously send us your feedback on the, the tripe supper and suggestions too suggestions for Suggest- non-football areas yeah, yeah especially non-football areas we but like yeah. music yes music's good I mean a bit of film as well would, would oh, be I love fine. a bit of film um, don't get Dom on about that though Dom doesn't no, do no Dom film. doesn't do films no he won't look for that send us your suggestions and obviously yes it's going to become a weekly thing uh, mainly on uh, Gazette Borough Premium so if you signed up then then great you should be able to download it as normal if you haven't then you know you you might enjoy this so see if you want to sign up cheers lovely cheers cheers